0: listening to the currency. Welcome. I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston, and I'm a brand and marketing strategist that helps privately owned businesses scale. And I'm thrilled to have you along. This is episode number 21. 21 episodes. I can't tell you how stoked I am. I thought when I started this thing it would be a fun project and I thought, let's see where it goes and I can't tell you how pleased I am to see where the podcast has gone, what it's becoming, and and the response from you, the audience, as it's grown very nicely and I've gotten some great feedback. So I want to take an opportunity here to mix it up a little bit today. Typically, you will join me and I will have a guest that I will talk to and interview. We've had some phenomenal guests over the last handful of months as I kick this thing off. I've had nothing but fun interviewing these folks and putting these episodes out, but today I thought I'd take a little bit of a diversion And just address you directly, do a little bit of a monologue today. I've done that once before, but I thought, let me take a little bit of time on this 21st episode and uh, chat with you. Now, I want to talk today about one thing that I think is a huge opportunity that often goes overlooked uh, by private companies that want to grow. And it's marketing related. We'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, I just want to thank everybody. You know, I'm talking about how the podcast has been growing, the kind of response that I've been getting over the last handful of months. and, And it's really amazing. I mean, I'm humbled by it. It's fun for me to start new projects. I'm a creative person. I love coming up with concepts. I love the excitement of doing all the development, and the legwork and learning and getting everything ready and launching something. That's just so much fun for me. I, uh, I can't tell you how much I love something new. What what I'm not so good at, and some of you may know this that know me well, is I'm not the best at the long haul. I mean, there are things in my life that I have no problem with. I've been married for 27 years Uh, you know, I own and ran a business for over, for about 15 years. Like I can hang in there. I I know how to put one foot in front of the other. I know how to find the good times and, and to get through the tough times that's life. You know, I'm a grown up. but when it comes to my intellectual, uh, curiosity and and my creative drive, I love starting something new. And often when I get in the middle of something, it becomes boring. It's like, okay, I've been doing this for a little while and now I want to do something different. There's something shiny over there. And it's caught my attention, but the cool thing about this podcast is it has really become this fun fun project. It's not just the starting of it or the launch of it, but the doing of it week after week. I get to talk to some of the most interesting people and i i I finish these interviews feeling almost guilty like I'm selfish you know i get, I get to have my intellectual curiosity uh uh the hunger that 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 creates fulfilled, satiated. You know, I get to dig in and ask questions and learn about someone else's business, learn about the way they think, the way that they do things. Often I'm asking a question, not always because I think, oh, this is going to be great radio. You know, if I ask this question, the audience is going to love it. I mean, that is in my mind and I'm trying to do a good job and to grow as a host, ask better questions, to, to get better content for you, the listener but often I'm asking that question because I really want to know. I want to know things like their business model. I want to know their successes, their failures. I want to know what things they do that really work and what things they do that don't work. I want to learn. I love learning and I love getting below the surface. And so, you know, look, we're 20 episodes in. This is the 21st. Uh, it's, you know, cause to celebrate. I feel like I've hit a little, it's a small milestone, not a big deal, but this is a real thing. It's uh, It's a real thing and it's happening and it's growing. And so I'm celebrating a little bit. And I'm telling you, I'm having the time of my life and having a ball developing this thing, but I know that it can be better. And so I'm looking forward to getting better and better as the show progresses. And I've got some ideas creatively where I want to go with the show. I really want to be able to tell the story of private business through this podcast. Now, we're still going to talk marketing and branding from time to time. We're going to talk entrepreneurship. We're going to talk to experts and different folks. But I want to give the opportunity on this platform to tell the story of private business. And why I think that's important is private business is critical to our society. And I won't spend a lot of time on this. But if you think about it, private business is an opportunity for people to delve into their creative power to create something out of nothing to create jobs to create wealth to solve problems, to strengthen their communities, to help our economy do better. I mean, there's just so much tied up in private business. And it's different than larger corporations. And I think there's place for both. I'm not anti corporation and and pro-private. I'm pro private. I'm pro business in general. But there are things about private businesses that are unique and special that I think we need to recognize and, and not forget. And I feel a little bit in our society there's this real big discussion and push and, and um, even fight over this concept of inequality. And we're made to feel, all of us in some way or another, that it's not fair, that we're being put upon. If you're a wealth creator, you're being made to feel that it's not fair that you're paying all these taxes and you're supporting all these people that are not contributing. If you're someone that's struggling to find work, you feel it's not fair. All the good jobs are gone and no one you know, will give you a fair shake and you're just stuck and you can't change your lot in life. If you're a female, you're being told that you don't earn enough and that the life isn't fair to you and that you know the system is stacked against you. If you're a person of color, you're being told similar things. It's like Every single group, each one of us is being told that life isn't fair. Now, I don't know about you, but the way I was raised, I just grew up knowing, hey, life isn't fair. Get on with it. I mean, I I think that's what my mother used to tell me. Like, I'd say, well, that's not fair. And she said, yeah, life isn't fair. Get over yourself. Now, I'm not telling you, the listener, get over yourself. What I'm saying is, rather than answer that question, how do we make things more equitable? How do we make things more fair? I think there's an opportunity to tell a story that has been going on in our nation for centuries, and that is the story of private industry, the story of free markets, the story of individual creativity and corporate creativity. People coming together, creating, uh, creating economic power, creating wealth, solving problems, making the world a better place and enriching people in the process. It's a very encouraging, hopeful story. And it's a story that's been playing out generation after generation. My fear, if you want to call it that, is that we're losing as a society the, the story. We're losing that narrative. We're letting that narrative kind of fade from our, from our uh, corporate consciousness, if you will. Uh, corporate meaning us as a group, as, our, as a country, as a society. And we're replacing that with um, this story where someone else has to make things right for us. Now, look, I'm all for making things right. I think justice is an important thing. We have a society based on on just laws and uh, righteous laws and laws that are good and fair. And I, I don't have a problem with that. But I don't like the idea that we're all helpless. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think that some of us are. Some of us are born with disabilities and obstacles that are next to impossible to overcome. And I think a good society, a moral society helps and looks out for those people. That can be anywhere from the unborn all the way to adults that have disabilities that can't fend for themselves. We as a society should look out and protect these people and help them. But the vast majority of us are capable. We might not all be Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, but we're all capable in some way. We're all created with some unique, special capability And this story of private industry, I think, is important to this bigger discussion about inequality and the capabilities of each and every one of us and the ways that we can participate in this fantastic, miraculous economy that is the American economy. Now, I know it's had its problems, it's struggling a little bit now. You could say, well, gee, the stock market's blowing up, but we know there's a crash coming at some point. There will be a correction, you know, whether it's a crash or a Or a recession or stagflation or whatever these things are, there are always corrections and they're painful. But we have the most impressive, dynamic, wealthiest economy in the world. And I think we need to remind ourselves that from time to time. So that's a little bit of a soliloquy. That is not the topic of today's discussion. We're about eight, nine, 10 minutes in and I'm already philosophizing. But I wanna let you know that I wanna use this platform to tell that story, not explicitly every time. But I want to talk to owners of independent businesses, private businesses, small, medium, large businesses. I want to hear their story. I want to hear about their brand. I want to hear what they've overcome. I want to hear about, you know, what they believe in and how they create wealth and how that wealth is distributed into their communities, to their employees and to themselves. I think this is an important story. Hopefully it will inspire you. Hopefully it will encourage you in your endeavors to create wealth in your own life and to uh, be a blessing to those around you. So that's that. So that's the currency. We'll see where this thing goes. We're 20 episodes in, and I'm hoping that we can do 200, 2,000 episodes into the future. I mean, it's a lot of fun. And a quick thank you to all the listeners. It has been fantastic to see this podcast grow, not only in the U.S., but across the world. I'm just blown away. I've got folks in Greece, in Japan, in Israel, in the United Kingdom, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Australia. Chile, uh, Brazil. I've got regular listeners all over the world. There's some in Asia, like Thailand, and uh, and I want to say I want to say Indonesia. That's right, Indonesia. So there's a lot of great traffic coming in from all over. Regular listeners, I love you all. I really do. I'm so grateful. You really energize me and make me want to do this every week. The fact that folks are listening and getting value and letting me know about that is special. So guys, thank you so much. So let's take a few minutes. This is going to be a long podcast. I'm not going to do a mid-roll. We're just going to talk a little bit about what I think is the biggest opportunity for private businesses when it comes to marketing. Now, here's what I'm talking about when I say the biggest opportunity. In my experience over the last 20, 25 years, dealing in marketing with, with uh, privately owned businesses, and I've dealt in both larger publicly traded corporations that are global. I've worked with a lot of privately owned businesses as well companies that have been privately owned, but on the Fortune 500. So these aren't all dinky little mom and pop shops, although I've dealt with those folks as well. And here's one thing that I see that tends to be really typical across the board with privately owned businesses. And that is that they treat marketing as an overhead. And here's what I mean by that. They have a marketing department. Usually it's an individual, depending on the size of the company, it could be a handful of individuals. But the way that they've created and structured that department, it is treated like an overhead. It's treated as something that costs the company money. Now, you may be thinking, well, Mike, everything in a company costs money. Like you have employees, they cost money. If you're not big into business, if you haven't owned your own business, you have to understand that there are uh, different functions within a company that do different things. And you can kind of split them into two camps, not different ways to split them, but just for purposes of today. There are functions and um, roles and behaviors that generate revenue. These are the things that create wealth for the business. You can think about things like uh, salespeople. Salespeople generate revenue. They get out there and they close deals. They make things happen. Product managers, if you've got like a product that you're selling, your product group, the people that are responsible for the product and get the product out the door and get it to market, they innovate, they test things, they refine, and then they get it on the shelves and you know that's that's again a a revenue generating function you have other functions in a business that are overhead these are things that you have to have but they don't create value like take accounting for example you've got an accounting department maybe it's one person maybe it's 50 people in your company or maybe it's thousands but the accounting department is an overhead they're not generating revenue necessarily they might help get a better interest rate on something you have a good chief financial officer they might uh you know, move funds around and make sure that the company has cash flow and liquidity so that it can keep doing what it needs to do. Those are really important functions to keep the business healthy, but they are overhead. They're not generating income. They're not creating wealth for the business. Maybe your manufacturing department, you know, you've got folks that are making the product. Now you could could say, well, Mike, we can't make money unless we're making the product. You could offshore that. You could outsource it. You could have somebody else build it for you. But this is a necessary overhead. It's something you have to have. You have to have it in place. You have to have some kind of manufacturing, whether somebody does it for you as a contract manufacturer or you do it in-house at your own company. It's an overhead. And in a company, whenever you have something function, an individual, a role, an activity that is an overhead, you want to find ways to reduce the cost of that overhead. These are tactical kind of transactional behaviors, and roles and functions. You know, if you've got somebody that's doing your filing for you, you don't want to pay them $120,000 a year to file paperwork. Well, why is that? Well, it's a low-skilled job. Yeah, maybe. What if they've got a PhD? What if, you know, what if this person's really, like, library science, they know filing inside and out. You've got the best filing system in all the universe. It doesn't matter because that function doesn't generate revenue for you. So why would you pay more than thirty-five dollars or $45,000 a year? You're going to try to Hire people that are happy with that kind of wage that feel fulfilled by that kind of work, but you're not going to, you're not going to give them a signing bonus. You're not going to give them a company car and, uh, you know, tickets to the Mets every year. This is an overhead. And so what companies try to do where they have functions that do not generate revenue, they try to look for ways to do those functions, uh, more and more efficiently and, and costing the company less and less. Now, when you get to your revenue-generating functions, things like innovation where they're coming up with new products, product management, uh, sales, and all that, you're more willing to pay the big bucks. That's why a salesperson gets commission. You're incentivizing that person. It's like, hey, you go out and close a million dollars in sales for us, then we're happy for you to make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, plus all your cell phone, plus a Uh, Covered. You know, here's a have a free uh, company computer. uh, Here's a company car. Here's the company credit card. Like you want to lavish that person and pay them and remunerate them well because they're generating wealth for you. If that person is focused and efficient and happy and productive, they're making you a ton of money. And if they're not happy, focused, efficient and productive, you're losing, you're missing out on opportunity. So when you think about a company, you've kind of got these two buckets, if you will, you can put functions and roles and people in. These are folks that are generating revenue. These are folks that are creating income. And these are folks on the other side that are overhead, that are costing the company money. Now, there's no stigma around being in the overhead camp. Maybe you're the kind of person you love accounting. And, and don't get me wrong, like accountants should be paid really well. I mean, they they come with a high level of training. What they do is very Uh, intricate and critical to the business, you can get a lot of trouble if the accounting is not done correctly, both with the government and just the way you're running your business. So I don't want to make it sound like all overhead positions are, you know, low paid minimum wage jobs. I'm just saying that when you look at a business through a lens, if you think about these two types of functions, revenue generating and overhead or cost functions, uh, you understand why you want to limit the cost and overhead of some and you want to throw money at the others. So let's go back to marketing. This big opportunity for a lot of privately owned businesses is they treat their marketing department as an overhead function. And not only do they treat them that way, I'm not saying like, oh, they make a big mistake. You should treat it as a revenue generating. They're treating it as an overhead function because that marketing department, those individuals and the behaviors and the activities are overhead activities. Now, there's an interesting thing about marketing. It's one of these functions that can straddle either side of the fence. It can be either revenue generating or it can be overhead. It can be both. And not all functions are like that. There are some functions that it's like, you know, we're just overhead. And there's some functions like no matter what I do, I'm a revenue generating function. And if I'm not generating revenue, I need to be fired because I'm not supposed to cost the company money. I'm supposed to make money. So when you get to marketing, it's interesting because it can be on either side of the fence and it can justify that. I mean, there are some things that marketing does that are overhead that you need it to do. And that's that's kind of the stickler. When you get to a lot of small to medium-sized businesses, privately owned, even larger ones, you, I've seen companies, I know a company right now comes to mind, $200 million a year in revenue, not a client of mine, someone I worked with years ago, but $200 million in revenue. Uh, they had locations all across New York and Pennsylvania. They had huge warehouse space. They had employees all over. I mean, this company was doing a lot of business. They had one marketing person. They had one marketing person. And they treated that person like an overhead. That This person was just kind of a coordinator. So, So uh, this isn't just for little small companies, little mom and pops. This is for large companies as well. So what happens is, they view marketing as a thing that has to happen. Typically, it is supporting sales. These companies have good salespeople, and they start developing a marketing function to support sales. So that means that marketing is creating sales literature. Hey, I need a new brochure. Don't worry, we can take care of it. So they hire, you know, they've got a graphic designer on staff, maybe a marketing manager, maybe a marketing coordinator, you know, two, three, four people, they're generating brochures, they are helping put together PowerPoint presentations, they are coordinating the uh, annual trade show event and working with the trade booth vendor. These are folks that are just busy doing the block and tackle work of supporting the other functions with the marketing expertise that they bring to the table. They're probably running ads in trade publications, they're you know, maintaining the website, maybe updating the website. These are these are all overhead functions. And what you find is this is kind of the marketing department will grow. They'll add people. It'll get larger. But it's painful because this department is not tied to revenue generation, not directly. So they might say, look, we're we're important. Like we do these brochures so the salespeople can go out and sell. Uh, we need to, to redo the website because the traffic was down. Now we're getting more traffic. That's good. So, you know, they're able to tie what they do indirectly to sales, but they're not directly generating revenue. And so what ownership does, rightly so, they look at this and they go, hey, this is getting a little expensive. We've got to cut back on marketing. We've got to somehow get this expense reined in because, you know, marketing keeps growing and growing. They're finding more and more to do. Now they're telling us we need to be on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and you know we're doing social media and the website redo and we redid our logo we're creating marketing collateral all the time we got six trade shows now and the list just keeps getting bigger and bigger because nature abhors a vacuum <laughs> but you're not seeing a um you're not seeing a, a growth kind of a, a related growth in income and revenue to the expenditure of marketing it's kind of a fiefdom that's growing and growing you know, multiple graphic designers you got a social media person you know you got a webmaster and so on and so forth, so you know the drill so this is very common this is what it looks like when you look at a privately owned marketing department typically not always but typically you have people that are really good at what they do these are seasoned experts they 're smart they 're savvy they know the trade show world they know how to do advertising they know how to do graphic design and, and coordinate events and keep the website, you know, fresh and snappy, but they are not generating revenue. And then what happens is the business and the leadership just assumes that like, well, this is marketing. We do marketing. We do it really well. But savvy folks know, and those of you listening that are into marketing, you know, there's so much more to marketing. There's so much more. And I think this is the big opportunity the, the question is, how do you convert an existing marketing function from an overhead into a revenue generator? And I think that's the big opportunity. I'm not going to give all the answers in this podcast. We'll talk about a little bit here for a couple more minutes. But that is the opportunity. The opportunity for privately owned businesses is to convert their marketing function from overhead to revenue generator. So one of the first things that I like to do when I go into a client is to audit the business. And audit the marketing function, audit the sales. Like I like to look at the whole business. I'm not just focusing only on marketing, but my, my goal is to figure out the marketing piece and how does it fit now? What is it doing and how can it transform into a marketing department of the future? How can it become a revenue generator for the business? And so I like to audit the business and I like to look at what is marketing doing? What does it cost? You know, how many people, what are they up to, what are the tasks, what are the goals? And what you inevitably find is marketing is detached from the business goals of the company. Now, not every company has a business plan, so they don't have their strategy mapped out on a piece of paper. You can't look at a slide deck and say, these are the three legs of our strategy. But ideally, someone in that business does have an idea of where they're trying to go. There's an owner that says, yeah, you know what? And they might not share this with everybody, but I'm hoping to sell the business to my daughter someday. I'm hoping, to, uh, I'm hoping a larger competitor is going to gobble us up. I want to get us to 20 million, and then I'm hoping that we're attractive enough that uh, Google comes in and, and pays me half a billion dollars for this company that, uh, that I built. So, so folks are trying to accomplish some type of goal they don't always share it with the company, but somebody knows what's going on. And what I find is the marketing department is often detached from whatever that direction of the company is because they're so focused on the tactical. They're so focused on trying to, you know, meet the day-to-day needs of the sales team and coordinate events and get blog posts out. They're just busy doing the work, the block and tackle work of marketing that they're not able to see and they're not able to align their behaviors with the ultimate goals of the business. Now, this is not usually marketing's fault. I want to be very clear. Often this is an executive shortcoming, and I'm not saying that the owner does this on purpose. It's just one of these things people overlook. I think making it clear for the marketing department that these are the goals of the company and then allowing the marketing department to say, okay, well, let us put a plan together to show you how we can deliver on these goals. Aligning the marketing department with the overall business goals of the company is a big step in helping it transform from an overhead to a revenue generator. Now, sometimes there's some work that has to happen before you can even have that discussion. Sometimes the company has not done the disciplined work of sitting down and saying, what are our goals? And the goals can change. I mean, some companies and some entrepreneurs, and I've been guilty of this myself, you know, the goals can change depending on the wind. I mean, today I'm excited about X. And then I go home and on the way home, I hear this podcast with a great idea about why. And then I come in the next day and go, forget X, it's all about why. And maybe two weeks from now, it's going to be about Z, X, Y, and Z. And everyone's like, oh, Mike, I love that you're creative. I love that you're sincerely enthusiastic, but I can't take it. (laughs) I'm sure you've been there. You've either worked for somebody like this or you are somebody like this. And hey, uh, God made us this way. The world needs some crazy people. Otherwise, businesses would not be started. But... You need to bring some rigor and discipline into the equation, into the discussion and say, look, let's lock down. What are we trying to accomplish here? It can't be 13 things. There should be one, three, five at the most. But what are the two, three things that we're trying to accomplish? What are the strategies? What are the goals? And then help marketing connect the dots. Let them show you how they're going to help deliver on those things. And it shouldn't just be, well, we're going to start an Instagram account. That's not good enough. We've got to have details like how does Instagram deliver what are we going to measure how are we going to know it's successful what does this look like and i think the more you can help marketing accomplish that by bringing them into the discussion and allowing them to understand what the goals are and where the company's going and allowing them to build a plan and really pushing that plan to make sure it's tight and it's the best plan it can be that goes a long way and what that does for the owners of these businesses and for the executives and the management it allows them now to measure marketing it's like okay you know how's it going you know, someone can say, well, we got a trade show. We have to be at this trade show. It's like, why? Well, you know, our, our competition's going to be there. It's like, okay, but so why? Like I'm looking at our plan and, and that's not part of, our. I don't see how that delivers on the plan. Well, here's the thing. We've got this thing in place where we're going to be able to get, uh, we think about 3000 leads. And of those 3000 leads, we think 30 of them based on the numbers that we've been looking at over the last couple of years are going to turn into hundred thousand dollar accounts. Okay. Now you got my attention. That's what I like to hear. And that's what should be the attitude going in. That's revenue generation. So that's one big way. There's, there's some other ways that you can convert the marketing department into RevGen. Uh, one, an, another way besides getting it aligned with the strategy of the company and the plan of the company is to look at things in the marketing world that have changed that are more focused on actual revenue generation. So, you know, we've got this whole... Uh, paradigm of salespeople going out and selling on our behalf or customers coming into our store and buying our stuff. But there's this digital world out there. I don't know if you've heard about it. I, I just figured it out yesterday, actually. <laughs> but there's this whole digital world out there that we can transact on, we can do business on, and marketing can lead the way. The sales team is not going to lead the way for online sales. It's just not the way it works. Uh, it's got to come from marketing. So marketing has an opportunity to develop e-commerce approaches and platforms that allow you to transact and funnels that bring people in from awareness all the way through to transacting. This isn't to replace the sales team necessarily, but this is the way that business is being done. This can include things like content strategy and funnel work and digital marketing and so on. But again, the focus has to be not on the busy work, but like how do we move people through to transact with us? And this can come from marketing. So if your company right now isn't doing much with online transactions there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. And that could be a uh, marketing-led initiative to help you become more savvy and sophisticated and successful in digital sales. Now, maybe your existing team isn't capable of that. And that's okay. Like someone like me can come in and say, hey, let me help you build it. I'll help you assess. I'll build a a structure, a plan I'll help you manage and put things in place. We'll, We'll build this thing so that it's working for you uh, like clockwork, and it's ticking over and turning revenue and something you can control. So that's another way that marketing can become a revenue generator. Another opportunity is for marketing to develop new products and services. This is around innovation. Often, you know, for some companies, uh, that new product development comes out of engineering or research and development, you know, the old 3M model or, or like a Procter and Gamble model, you know, which you get these massive teams doing tons of research and, you're saying, well, I can't do that. But you know, marketing can and should uh, lead innovation. doesn't mean they have to control it or own it. I think innovation can come out of any department. And ideally, uh, if you were listening actually to the last podcast episode with, uh, with Professor John Schloff, these product teams are comprised of all kinds of people, marketers and accountants and engineers and logistics people. You want cross-functional teams doing innovation. But marketing can take the lead on that. Marketing can be the impetus behind it. There might be opportunities. Maybe you've got um, some type of product that you're delivering as a service to your customers. You have a sales team out there delivering it, but maybe some of that could be turned into a digital product. Maybe it could be some type of training or information product, and you could open up your expertise to a much larger audience. And marketing can be behind that. They can create all the content, they can shoot the videos and the audio, they can get it online, they can create all the, the marketing campaigns and the landing pages. And they can convert, and that could be a whole new revenue source for you. So that's another way that your marketing department can become a revenue generator. And I'm not saying pull marketing off the classic marketing behaviors and just get them out there selling like everybody else. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying within the marketing discipline are a number of revenue-generating functions and, and uh, tools and tactics that marketers have at their disposal. Now, not every marketer is good at every marketing function. A lot of marketing people I know come to the task, come to the role as a designer. They started out as a creative, as a young person, and kind of evolved into a marketer over time. I know other marketers that started as engineers, and they were product experts, and they got tasked with helping to promote the product because they had an engineering background. And now, 20 years on, they're a full-time marketer. So these folks may not necessarily be good at one aspect of marketing or another just based on where they came from. I don't think there's any marketer that can do everything really well. If you want someone to run your Twitter account, I am not your guy at all. If you want someone to help you develop strategy, develop a brand, develop uh, product opportunities, innovation, I'm great at that kind of thing. I can build process and people, but I'm not a great execution artist. I'm not the guy who's going to manage your budget every day in and out and, and sit and run Twitter accounts. And, you know, I, I'm I'm a pretty decent writer, but you probably don't want me writing all your content day in and day out. There are people that are really good at that. And so... When I talk about marketing functions should do this or your marketing should do that, bear in mind that you may not have a full complement of the kind of skills that you need. The individuals you have in the seats at your company may not be uh, well suited to some of this stuff. So that may mean you have to reassess your department. Now, I'm not saying go through, you know, hey, Mike said it's time to reassess. And so I'm getting rid of everybody and we're going full revenue. Look, think about it. I mean, I, I, you're going to need to create things like brochures and keep your website maintained. It might make sense to outsource some of that. But I think the real opportunity isn't getting rid of these people or adding those people. It's thinking about how can I shift, how can I transform my marketing department from a, from a cost center, something that costs me money and overhead, to a revenue generator. If I'm going to put a quarter of a million dollars into my marketing team, If I'm going to put half a million dollars into my marketing program in general between people and advertising and trade shows and all that jazz, whatever that number is, what am I making from that? What revenue can I tie directly? For every dollar that I spend on marketing, how many dollars am I getting back? And this is the most important question you can ask. Now, it takes time. This is a big ship. It doesn't just turn on a dime. Now, you might have just like one employee, a marketing coordinator that takes care of the trade show and does a little bit of graphic design on the side. And so for you, it might be easy to say, I'm going to bring someone in that's at a higher level to help me start generating revenue. Or you might have 30 people in a department and think, OK, this is a big overhead. How do we how do we change that? And that might take some time. In either case, you can access outside resources, get some help, have some expertise, guide you through the process. Make yourself a plan, a, you know, a multi-step plan. Like phase one, we're going to do this. Phase two, we're going to add that. I would test along the way. I'd measure things like, is it working? We're trying to move this ship slowly over to becoming more revenue oriented. How are we doing? Are we measuring the right things? What kind of results are we getting? You know, one of the big things about marketing is you test stuff. You 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 come up with an idea, you put it out there. It never works as great as you hope. I mean, sometimes it works better, which is always lovely. But you know, you, then you get the results back and, okay, let's modify it. It's just you test and tweak and test and tweak and test and tweak until you've got this thing humming so nicely. That's the goal. You know it's humming when it's generating revenue, and you know why it's generating revenue, and it's repeatable. So, guys, thank you for your time. Again, thanks so much for helping me make this podcast successful. We'll be returning to the interviews uh, pretty quickly. I've got some lined up that I'm going to be sharing with you awfully shortly. If you know of someone that you think should be interviewed for the show, someone a business owner or an expert in the area of uh, entrepreneurship, business, marketing, branding, uh, give me some information. Just get in touch with me. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Gaston. Hit me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people there. Just look for Mike Gaston. Of course, you can go to my website. There is a contact form there. It is MikeGaston.com. That's G-A-S-T-I-N.com. And if you haven't already, please take a minute and subscribe to this podcast. While you're doing that, Uh, give me a little review, throw some stars my way, maybe a comment or two, let me know what you think. It really helps the show and it lets these platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, that, you know, everywhere that this podcast is provided, it lets them know that this show is good, that people are interested and it helps them push it so other people can find it. Guys, I love you all. I really do. And I'll catch you in the next episode.